I know some of you right now, you're like, I just don't have a lot. Like, what do I got? What am I? Learn from the tribe of Dan. Second largest tribe. There's only one clan mentioned. Second largest. Oftentimes, our assessment of things is not God's assessment of things. Oftentimes, we look with natural eyes, and we don't look with the eyes in which God sees. There's no way we can see our lives the way God does. He sees our future, our past, and our present, and knows exactly who we will become. Pastor Daniel reminds us today to not be discouraged by our failures or our lack of resources. God can and does use everyone in His kingdom plan, and He'll provide all we need to do the tasks He has for us. We should default to God's view of our lives, setting aside our own limited versions. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part three of his message, The Second Census. Verse 26. The sons of Zebulun, according to their families, were of Sered, family of the Sardites, of Elon, the family of the Elonites, of Jalil, the family of the Jalilites. These were the families of the Zebulonites, According to those who were numbered of them, 60,500. So you have 60,500, an increase of about 3,100 from the 57,400 of the first census. They grew by about 5%. Okay? Now, I can take a little break. We can have a little fun. When was the last time you called yourself and your family the ites? So like mine are the Fuscoites. So I want you to feel free to say hello and how are the, you know, whoever, the, the Baronites or the whatever your last name is. Just have some fun with it. Just you, you, have, you have ites if you didn't know it. And if somebody asks you where you're getting it from, just say, I'm just getting it from the Bible. God's word says it. So I believe it. End of story. So you have ites. Praise the Lord. Did you ever think that would be exciting that you have ites? Yeah. Dude, I'm grasping at straws here. This is a tough text. Right? Amen. But listen. You can just tweet that. I got ites. Thanks, Jesus. Amen. Okay, (laughs) verse 28. The sons of Joseph, according to their families, by Manasseh and Ephraim, this is verse 28, were the sons of Manasseh, of Machir, the son of the Machirites, uh, and Machir begot Gilead, of Gilead, the family of the Gileadites. These are the sons of Gilead, of Jezer, I love that, the family of the Jezerites, of Helek, the family of the Helekites, of Azrael, the family of the Azrael, whatever, of Shechem, the family of the Shechemites, of Shemitah, the family of the Shemitites, that's a great name for a girl, Shemitah, of Hefer, the family of the Heferites, I'm going to try. Now, Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, had no sons, I can't understand why, but daughters, and the names and the daughters of Zelophad were Mala, Noah, Hoglath, Milcah, and Tirzah. These are the families of Manasseh, and those were numbered of them were 52,700. Now, what you notice is that Joseph gets 
play. And then you get his two sons. We get the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim. Now, don't forget that. Remember, when Joseph was reunited to his father in Egypt, Jacob adopted Joseph's two sons. Okay? If you remember, that was in Genesis chapters 38 and 39. We talk about all that, where literally Jacob adopts his son, Joseph's sons, as his own. And what you end up having is, by that being the case, you end up having 13 tribes, really. You have Jacob's 12 sons, but he adopted Joseph's sons. So depending on the list, if it's about land, you'll normally get Ephraim and Manasseh because Levi didn't get any land. If it's about other things, then Levi is included and you just have him as the tribe of Joseph. So it's very fascinating. And you guys know that the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, the 13 tribes, when Jesus chose 12 disciples, he's starting the new Jerusalem, the new children of Israel, the new people of God from the remnant of the people of God. And you remember Jesus had 12 disciples, but then Judas committed suicide. So he's out. And then they, they picked Matthias in Acts chapter one. And then of course, in Acts chapter nine, you get the apostle Paul. So it's very fascinating because just as there was 12 tribes that became 13 tribes, there's 12 apostles that became what? 13 apostles. Now, everybody asked the question, well, which names of the apostles are going to be on the foundations of the new Jerusalem? And guess what? I don't know. When we get there, we're going to find out. And what's really fascinating, when you get the numbering of the 144,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel, it's interesting who's in there and who's not. So if you like Bible searching, and you should, go run that stuff down. Go have some fun. It's a good time. Get a notebook or a thing. Do some research. Do all the places the 12 tribes are mentioned. Figure out which ones are there, which ones are not. Try and come up with a cohesive theory as to why it is. And if you do a really good job, you can go get a degree in seminary. But it's very fascinating stuff. So notice, you get Joseph. We're reminded that Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And then we get it broken down. And first we get the tribe of Manasseh. Very good names involved in this. In verse 34, we find out that there was 52,000 700 from the tribe of Manasseh. So there were 52,700. They're up in the first census. They were at 32,200. So they increased by 64%. So just as Simeon had a huge decrease, now the tribe of Manasseh has a huge increase. Now in verse 35, you get the sons of Ephraim. According to their families of Shuthala, the family of the Shuthalites, I didn't do that right, of Beecher, the family of the Backrites, of Tahan, the family of the Tahanites, and these are the families of Shulatha, of Aaron, the family of the Aaronites. These are the families of the sons of Ephraim, according to those who were numbered by them. 32,500, these were the sons of Joseph, according to their families. So Ephraim ends up at 32,500 in the second census. They dropped by 8,000 from 40,500 in the first census. So they decreased about 20%. Okay, verse 38. The sons of Benjamin, according to their families, were of Bela, the family of the Belites, of Ashbel, the family of the Ashbelites, of Aram, the family of the Ahiramites, of Shufam, the family of the Shufamites, of Hufam, the family of the Hufamites. The sons of Bela were Ad and Naaman. 
of Ard, the family of the Ardites, of Naaman, the family of the Naamanites. These were the sons of Benjamin, according to their families, and those who were numbered of them were 45,600. So 45,600 in the second census, that's an increase of 10,200 from the 35,400 in the first census. Now, 29%. Now, if you're diligently taking notes about all those percentages, God bless you guys. But that's Benjamin. Next. These, verse 42, these are the sons of Dan, according to their families. Of Shuham, the family of the Shuhamites, these are the families of Dan, according to their families. And the families of Shuhamites, according to those who were numbered, of them were 64,400. Now, 64,400, right, is the second census, it's an increase of 1,700 from their 62,700 in the first census, a gain of about 3%. Now, what's interesting is this is the most abbreviated of all of them. Notice the tribe of Dan only has one clan listed, and really only the tribe of Judah is larger. Now, what is the meaning for us of this is, listen, God can do a lot with a little. That's what you have to realize. That in God's economy, God doesn't need massive to get a lot done. All God needs is a little bit and God can do anything. Remember when they were in the wilderness with Jesus and they had all those multitudes there and the disciples were like, look, you got to send all these guys away because I don't have enough food and listen, it's getting late and we can't feed them all. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, Jesus... All we got is five loaves and two fish, which was like a little packed lunch for a kid. That's what it was. And it's amazing because the disciples forgot if they would have remembered the wedding of Cana and Galilee, where Jesus just needed water to purify for hand washing, and he can make it the most rocking rager wedding in history with the best wine. If he's the Lord of the feast and you bring the little that you have to him, remember what Jesus did? He said, bring it to me. And he blessed it. And he broke it, and he distributed it. Remember, everybody had enough. Everybody had extra. And how many baskets were left over? Twelve baskets, one for each apostle. I know some of you right now, you're like, I just don't have a lot. Like, what do I got? What am I? Learn from the tribe of Dan. Second largest tribe. There's only one clan mentioned. Second largest. Oftentimes, our assessment of things is not God's assessment of things. Oftentimes, we look with natural eyes, and we don't look with the eyes in which God sees. This is the the most abbreviated of all of them. It's the second largest tribe. So if you feel like you have a little, you just bring a little to the table. You don't have all this great stuff going on. Be encouraged. Because God loves to take the foolish things of the world and confound the wise. He does it that no flesh would glory in his presence. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians. That you bring the little that you have and you say, God, all that I am is yours. And do whatever you want with it. And God does extraordinary things. Lynn and I at home, we've been talking a lot about Gideon lately. God's been ministering to her through the story of Gideon. And it's so cool because Gideon is literally threshing wheat, hiding out in a cave so nobody notices. And remember the angel Lord shows up, and what does he call him? Gideon, you mighty man of valor. It's like if there's anything 
that isn't a mighty man of valor. It's a guy threshing wheat in the middle of the night in a cave, hoping that no one notices him. Like, it's the complete antithesis of valor. Like, he's hiding out. But if you know the story of the life of Gideon is that everything about Gideon is Gideon is scared, but God sees his potential and Gideon steps out in faith and he becomes a great hero of faith. But the whole way he was walking by faith, he didn't even want to be there. Didn't want to be there. But he kept showing up. And I love that picture because oftentimes we think of these great people of faith and how they, man, all I want to do is be in the middle of this stuff. I remember a couple years back, we had Mission Connection here, and there was a woman who was one of the main speakers, and her husband was a dentist, and her husband was martyred in Afghanistan. And her family was raised there, and they were helping all these people. And I'll never forget, Dr. Robbie Zacharias and I were sitting next to her at a dinner table, and like both of us are like wiping tears away because she's telling these stories, and like the missions thing was, you know, no regrets and, you know, and no retreat. And she's like, yeah, I was totally freaking out every day. And I totally wanted to quit every day. And all, like, she had all these things, but it was all, but I just, Jesus invited me there and we just kept following. And her husband was literally martyred going on a trip. And she's like, I just want to go back. And I think oftentimes we make the misconception of thinking that everybody is, yeah, let's do this. No, oftentimes we just go by faith because God invites us there and we're full of fear full of issues and question marks. And I think we bought into the Hollywood version of how greatness happens in the kingdom and we forget that it's a daily walk of faith. And that oftentimes you show up, like we think of Elijah with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. We always think, wow, he was so strong. You wonder if Elijah was really quaking in his boots. God did something miraculous, but he was on the line. Now, I say that to encourage you because I think for so many of us, we forget that the problem with walking by faith is you got to walk by faith. And walking by faith, is a, it's hard. We're so used to walking by sight. We make decisions based on this thing and this thing, all things that we can see. But God invites us out onto a road where he says, I'm going to ask you to walk in ways you would never have walked on your own. I'm going to ask you to be involved in things that you would never sign up for on your own. But if you show up, I'll be there. And I will do things in your heart and through your life that you could never dream. Dan doesn't have much going on, just one clan. But God does a lot through this one little tribe, which becomes a huge tribe. Look what happens next, verse 44. The sons of Asher, according to their families, were Jimna, the family of the Jimnites, of Jesui, the family of the Jesites, of Beriah, the family of the Berites, the sons of Beriah were Heber, the family of Heberites, of Malkiel, the family of the Malkielites, and the name of the daughter of Asher was Sarah. These are the families of the sons of Asher, according to those who were numbered, 53,400. Now, 53,400 in the second census, an increase of 11,900 from the first census when they were at 41,500. So they had a gain of about 29%. And what's interesting is notice that Sarah, the daughter of Asher, is mentioned. Now, what's amazing is that we don't really know why she's mentioned, but she's mentioned in there. 
Now, I know all the time that we live in a culture that says we don't, you don't want to believe in the Bible because the women are given second place and all this stuff. And that, you guys know that that's not true. If you've ever actually read your Bible, you realize that it's not true. Now, don't get me wrong, and I say this all the time, narrative is not normative. Write that down. That's, theologians like saying that. What it says is when the news tells you what happened, it doesn't mean that they agree with what happened. They're just telling you what happened. So when the Bible tells us, like, there's all these things that go on, it's not that the Bible's saying, this is the way life ought to be. It's just telling you, this is what happened. But if you read the Bible from cover to cover, you find that although the culture that the Bible was written in was staunchly patriarchal, more patriarchal than any culture that exists today, you look at every single culture where the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation, and you find out that men and women were created equal but different in the eyes of God. And so, I mean, just think, Jesus, his resurrection was revealed to a woman, and the woman went and told it to the apostles who were the mighty apostles. And a woman was not even able to testify in a court of law. So, like, the first person that Jesus resurrected was who? Mary Magdalene, who had demons cast out of her, who was known to be a harlot, all these different things. And you're like, that's the way Jesus rolls. He sends a woman who he healed to the mighty apostles who were going to lead the church. It's a completely different reality. So every time you hear that stuff, you got to be like, wait, huh? Our culture has some funny misconceptions, and most of it is because they learn the Bible from their own brains, and they never actually read it. They just make up stuff that's in there. And so if you do the research, you realize it doesn't look the way that it seems to look. Now, verse 48 the sons of Naphtali, according to their family, were Jaziel, the family of the Jazeelites, of Guni, the family of the Guniites, of Jezer, the family of the Jezerites, of Shalem, the family of the Shalemites, and these were the families of Naphtali, according to their families, and those who were numbered of them were 45,400. So there were 45,400 here at the second census. They were 53,400 at the first census. So they dropped 8,000, which was a drop about 15%. Okay, verse 51. These are those who were numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730. So now we have the composite number. 601,730. Now, what's interesting, in the first census, there were 603,550. They lost 1,820 people from the first census, a percentage of 0.3%. Remember I said it shows the faithfulness of God? Although an entire generation died in the wilderness... Their overall population only decreased by 0.3% after wandering in the wilderness for 39 years. Shows God's faithfulness. God promised to give his children a land and he preserved his people in the midst of all of their rebellion. He preserved them. Couple things to close up. Look at verse 52. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, to these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance. To a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance 
according to those who were numbered of them. But the land shall be divided by lot. They shall inherit according to the names of their tribes of their fathers. According to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided between larger and smaller. So now that we have the list of the army, we realize they're going into the promised land and they're getting a homeland. And what we find is that larger tribes get a larger inheritance, smaller tribes get a smaller inheritance. It's all given by lot. Now notice, it's not, no matter what your tribe is, everyone gets the same square miles. It's equitable. It's flat. It's like things like when people talk about tithing. Tithing's a flat number for everybody. Everybody gives 10%. It's not like we ask more tithes from the wealthy and no tithes from the non-wealthy. It doesn't work that way. Everyone has the same responsibility. So every tribe, depending on their side, got a land that was appropriate for the size of their tribe so that everybody was given a pretty fair and equitable shake at the land. Now, now that the land's been talked about in verse 57, we move to the Levites. Notice, and these are those who were numbered, this is verse 57, of the Levites, according to their families of Gershon, the family of the Gershonites of Kohath, the family of the Kohathites of Merari, the family of the Merarites. These were the families of the Levites, the family of the Libnites, the family of the Hebronites, the family of the Maalites, the family of the Mushites, the family of the Korathites, and Korah, And Kohath begot Amram. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. To Aaron was born Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died when they were offered profane fire before the Lord. Now those who were numbered of them were 23,000 every male from a month old and above, for they were not numbered among the other children of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel. Now, notice, the Levites are added. They're not getting any land because the Lord is their inheritance. But they still get numbered. And notice, we have the kind of rehearsal of the line of Levi, and we see who Moses and Aaron and Miriam were born to. We get how that whole family fits together. So it was a proper place to kind of add the tribe of Levi, even though they don't get a land, we still get the number of them. And we're reminded that the Levites were the family of Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And they were the priestly tribe. They don't get a land inheritance because the Lord is their inheritance. And this chapter concludes, verse 63 These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. But among these, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priests when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said to them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So you see how this ends. We are reminded again. Even though Moses is there, remember, Moses is going to die before they go in. So Moses is finishing up his ministry. But all of these that we, these over 600,000 men, only two of them were part of the group that left Egypt. Just Caleb and Joshua. Jesus is real. 
As Pastor Daniel wrapped up his teaching on the second census of the tribes of Israel today, he reminded us that sin does have consequences. As we discovered by the diminished numbers of some of the tribes, we know that God takes our walk with him seriously. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Daniel. Have you ever asked yourself, what is this life really all about? How shall I live? See, these are life's most important questions. Jesus invites us to follow him on a journey of discovering the art of living. And he gives us the answers to these questions. I'm stoked to share with you my newly released book where you can learn how to live an abundant life by living upward, inward, and outward through loving God and loving yourself and loving others. I will unpack the keys to a life that overflows with blessing. So here's Josh with some more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. This is exciting news. Pastor Daniel's new book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, is not currently available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere else. Pastor Daniel would like to offer a special pre-released signed copy of his book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, to anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more. Simply visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner from the main menu. There you can give your gift. And again, as a thank you, we will send you a special pre-released signed copy of Pastor Daniel's upcoming book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel discusses the predicaments that can arise from questions of succession. Through each instance, God's love for his people is evident as he cares for their physical and spiritual needs. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series entitled Preparation. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.